Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. We'll turn to the book of Revelation uh, chapter 1. And uh, we're going to continue a series that I began, our teaching I began uh, last week in the book of Revelation called The Days Ahead. And so what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do is take you through the book of Revelation But I'm going to take you through, not verse by verse, but as a survey. Uh, I've sat through uh, pastors that have taught, taken two and three years to go through the book of Revelation, verse by verse, and I want to tell you, it's intense. And so uh, there's a lot in this book. But I'm going to talk about the things about the days ahead. And I'm going to talk about events of this book. I'm going to take you through as a survey and take you to the key events that are in this book and begin to uncover them for you. And together we're going to uncover them and we're going to let the Holy Spirit reveal to us what is coming in the days ahead. So that there's a biblical literacy in our lives. So we have an understanding of what it means to be in the last days. And what it means when the events begin to start to happen in our world, how we are to know to interpret them. And of course there are many things that are happening and... Uh, uh, in our world, it's moving fast. As we talked about last week, we talked about, yeah, you can bring the lights up. We talked about um, how fast society is moving, that there is an uh, increase uh, going so fast that technology really can't even keep up with itself. And that, is, uh, and that is how powerful things are going. So I know it appears that we are kind of going to be moving slow in the beginning as we begin to start this book, but I promise you we will not be in chapter 1 until Jesus comes. So I promise you that uh, we may start slow. It may take a few minutes to get the train out of the station, but we will get rolling. You know, old-time preachers used to say it like this. Uh, I had an old-time preacher friend. His name was O.P. Stokes. O.P. Stokes had, a, had had a stroke on the left side, and he preached for many years Matter of fact, up until he was 92, he preached behind the pulpit every Sunday. He died at 93, and uh, he had had a stroke in his 70s, and his, so one side of his face was drooped, but he used to say this all the time. He's an old-time preacher. He'd always say to me, uh, he would invite me over to preach, and he'd say, at 8 o'clock, and it would be midweek, sir, he said, now, Pastor Shane, at 8 o'clock, the people are done. And, uh, and whether you're done or not, at 8 o'clock, the people are done. And uh, he said, the reason I know that is a shepherd knows his sheep. And I'm telling you, at 8 o'clock, my people are done. (laughs) And so, but he used to say this to me. He used to say this. He used to say, start slow, uh, go slow, rise higher till you catch the fire. And so that's how he says that you should approach whenever you teach. And I thought that was very good. I, I, I enjoyed all that. But in order for us to... Study the events of the coming days. There has to be a foundation. We need to know how to approach this book, how we are to approach it properly, and how we are to to approach it and look at the events that happen in the book of Revelation and be able to interpret them and be able to lay foundation in our lives and how we. We are laying the groundwork. We are laying the groundwork of what the Lord uh, is doing in our lives. Now, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 1, verse We're just going to look at two verses tonight, verse 4 and verse 20, and uh, I'll tell you why we're just looking at those. We're going to look at a lot of verses, but these are our foundational verses tonight, 
And again, we're surveying this book. I know we did the first three verses last week, and we're verse four this week. You're probably thinking, oh my God, it's going to be forever before we get through chapter one. That is not the case. But we talked about last week that uh, why is it called the book of Revelation? It's not the book of Revelations. It's the book of Revelation. And again, uh, we want to reiterate, it is a book that is veiled in symbolism, and that symbolism must be understood. The book Revelation comes from the Greek word, uh, uh, where we get the Greek word um, uh, apocalypse. apocalypse uh, we use the word apocalypse, but it's the word apocalypse, meaning to uncover what is hidden, or to unveil, or to, or to, or to reveal. Uh, that is what the word means. And, and I've often been asked, and, and as a pastor over the years, I've often been after, why don't people study the book of Revelation, and why don't you see more preachers preaching out of the book of Revelation? Well, I believe there's a couple of reasons. One is, I think for some, the symbolism is too confusing that they believe the symbolism is hard to interpret. But let me tell you this about the symbolism of the book of Revelation and about symbolism in Scripture just in general. The Bible interprets itself. Matter of fact, you will find as we go through the book of Revelation that many of the symbolisms that we see in the book will be interpreted by the Bible itself. Jesus interprets his own symbolism. And so a lot of times it's not so much that it's not confusing, people just don't want to study. (laughs) I think that's just it. People just don't want to get into the Word and study. Second is that the message seems to be too negative because of all of the judgment and things that you see coming on the earth in the book of Revelation. But I want to tell you something. I believe it's a book of hope. It is a powerful book. And it's a book of hope because it it doesn't leave our faith just hanging. We're not believing blindly in something We read the end of the book. We know who wins this thing. We're able to see into the future and able to know and have an understanding of what is to come for the believer. That's great hope for you and I tonight. And then the prophecies have already occurred. Some believe, interpretations, many denominations uh, have even taught that, um, that many denominations have even taught that the book of Revelation uh, is something that has already occurred. Uh, that there are uh, many reasons that it's not a futuristic book, but it is a book of events that has already happened. Now we're going to talk about that and break that down. You know, um, you know, as we start, the book of Revelation is over in time of history has been interpreted five ways. These are the five prominent ways that the book of Revelation has been interpreted. Uh, these are the five most prominent or the five. Uh, most popular ways is that uh, is the preterist interpretation. You say, well, what is the preterist interpretation? What is preterist? Well, it's 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 a word that means you know p- to pre-exist or to pre-happen. Uh, preterist interpretation believes that the end time prophetic events were fulfilled in the first century. They believe that many of the many of the references in Scripture to the temple and to things were pre-A.D. 70 before the fall of Jerusalem. So they believe the book of Revelation played out before the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, and it all happened in, the first, in this first century, and that it was all uh, taken care of then. Then there's the historical interpretation, where events from the first century, uh, uh, from, the, from the events of the first century, uh, uh, were fulfilled from the first century to the return of Christ. And really, what they believe is, is that 
um, that the book of Revelation was played out earlier in history, that there's a historical significance. Uh, for example, uh, many of them teach that in Revelation 9, when you see uh, the demon and locusts, demon locusts that come on the scene, uh, that come up out of the abyss, they translate that into an historical event where the Turkish lords fought in the battles uh, over uh, many years. And so they take historical events, attach them to the book of Revelation before this time period. And so it's more of a historical instead of a spiritual interpretation. Then there's the allegorical interpretation where the book is an allegory the symbolizing battles between good and evil. In other words, it's, it's just the symbolism of good and evil that we are to take the principles of the good and evil that we see in here and apply them to our life, that none of this is futuristic and none of it is going to happen. It's all allegorical. Uh, I like what I had a professor say one time in seminary. He said, the plain sense of the scripture makes sense to seek, so seek no other. Uh, when the scripture makes plain sense, don't make no sense to seek anything other. And so that's how uh, I would answer that. Then there's the all-millennial interpretation that the book represents the seven phases of church history, uh, which is uh, different than what we would, we would think as the looking at the seven churches of Asia as dispensations. It's not looking at dispensations. It's looking at there are seven church ages throughout the time. But number five, future fulfillment, you know, this is what I believe the scripture teaches is that everything that we look at in the book of Revelation is pretty much future fulfillment. Chapters one through three uh, are the things that have been, are the things that have taken place, that have been, but everything from chapter four to chapter 22 is futuristic. It's what will happen uh, and, and, and will happen and it will deal uh, all the way through and all the tribulations that happen through that period. And so the book of Revelation has been interpreted many different ways in the past. Let's look at our scripture tonight and beginning in verse 4 and start there. I want you to see something. Pay attention to this. Um, it says in verse 4, John, to the seven churches which are at Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before the throne. Now I want you to go over to verse 20. It says, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Now, uh, in these verses, you saw a word that was repeated over and over and over again. What is that? You saw the word seven. That's right. And so, it's, it's a, it is, you will see and I chose these scriptures tonight because I want to talk a little bit about the book of Revelation. It's full of symbols, signs, analogies, hyperboles, and figures of speech. And the scripture is full of these things. These verses, uh, uh, to, to you know, uh, uh, this word that you read over and over and over again, seven, I want you to kind of get that in your spirit. Because the title of the message tonight and what I'm talking about is Making Numbers Count. And I want to go through and talk about the symbolism of numbers through the book of Revelation so that you have an understanding of what and the importance of numbers and, and the importance of those numbers and what they mean throughout Scripture. And, of course, it's not only making numbers count, uh, but 
it's a faith you can really count on, right? And how many know we have a faith we can really count on? And so, as I said, Revelation is full of symbols. It's full of signs. It's full of analogies. For example, look at verse 1. We go back and look at verse 1 just as an analogy. You see there it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. Now I want you to see this. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Now look what it says. And he sent, and what did he do? He signified it. He signified it. Now what's the first letters of the word signify? Sign. It comes from the Greek word sema, which means sign. It's a book with signs of uh, uh, significant significance or signification. It's, it's the, there are symbols. And if we don't understand the symbols and the, and the uh, significance of the signs, then we're unable to really interpret what the book really means. So in other words, if we would add sci-fi to it or bring it into our world, in other words, you have to understand the signs in order to crack the code. How many know that we want to crack the code of the book of Revelation? And the way to do it is understanding the signs, understanding the significance of the signs. What do they mean? Interpreting them correctly. But before we get into the symbolism of numbers and the symbolism of the number seven and the symbolism of numbers, Let's talk a little bit about some of the symbols uh, we could touch on just by introduction. John, the author of the book of Revelation, uses many symbols. Number one, you know, sometimes John uh, speaks like a zoologist. Sometimes he speaks like a zoologist. Jesus is described as a lion and a lamb. We see a creature in part of the book that's around the throne. It is, it is a lion, an eagle, an ox. Uh, and, and, and uh, a man, and they all have the face of a man. Uh, we see a beast that is coming out of the sea. There's a beast that rises out of the sea, and we know later that this is a picture of the Antichrist. It's a wicked, horrible, grotesque beast that comes up out of the sea. We see another beast that comes up out of the land, and we know that later that is a false prophet. And so it's like John is a zoologist. He uses uh, he uses the description of animals and the description of other figures or animal-like in order to describe or to give us a symbol or a sign of particular things. Sometimes John speaks in this book as an astronomer. As a matter of fact, he talks about the stars. The first chapter, Jesus holds the seven stars in his right hand. We also see the symbolism of a great dragon, which we know is Satan. And it says that Satan takes his tail and sweeps away one-third of the stars that are in heaven and uh, uh, wipes them away. We know that this is symbolism, and it's, John uses the analogy of an astronomer. There are times he speaks sometimes as an artist. He describes colors that are rich in symbolism in this book. He uses colors to describe the richness of some symbolism. His most favorite that he uses is white, the color white. There are white robes that the saints wear. There is a white horse. There is one who is dressed in white. There's the wedding gown that is white. Jesus sits upon a great white throne. Uh, he uses other colors like, like the color green is used. There's a picture of around the throne of an unusual picture in heaven like you and I have never seen. It is the picture of an emerald rainbow. 
uh, like not a rainbow like any other. It's emerald. It's not like the rainbow we see. And green speaks of life. There's the four horsemen of different colors. There's the black horse of famine. There's the gray horse of death. There's the red of war. Matter of fact, he talks about a woman who is dressed in purple as a sign of richness and royalty. And so when you go through this book, you will see John takes on the nature of each of these symbolisms in order to express or to try to interpret what is being said so that we can have a word picture of what he is teaching us and what he is showing us. Sometimes he speaks as a geographer and he describes mountains and a sea and a river with distinct meanings. Matter of fact, he, in one place he has a woman uh, sitting upon seven mountains uh, and those seven mountains represent the city of Rome and we'll talk about that. There's the, there's the picture that he shows of the heaving and restless sea um, that comes forth which represents peoples, nations, and language. He describes a river that is crystal clear uh, around or coming around the throne of God. And around that crystal river flows out the benefits and the blessing of God. But let's, let's you know, and, and he uses the symbolism. But tonight I want us to specifically look uh, and see as John speaks as a math, math mutation tonight. And he, uh, and he begins to talk about numbers and we're going to look at numbers and see the significance of numbers throughout the book of Revelation. What these numbers mean. When you see certain numbers, this will tell you something as you read through this book. You will see these numbers and know that in God's sequence they mean certain things and they have an understanding of certain things. Revelation 1.4, he said the seven churches and those seven churches, the seven spirits, the seven spirits is who are before the throne. He uses the word seven and the number seven. And so, and so the real question is, uh, you know, and, the, and the, you're going to see seven throughout. It's the key. It is the key number throughout the book of Revelation. Seven is the key number. You're going to see seven churches. You're going to see seven seals. You're going to see seven trumpets. You're going to see seven uh, of vials. You're going to see seven judgments. You're going to see seven new things. You're going to see seven specific uh, people that play huge parts in the book of Revelation. And the question is this, do we interpret this book literally or do we interpret, interpret it symbolically? Should we to, uh, interpret the book of Re Revelation symbolically or literally? What do you think? Should, should we uh, literally or or are symbolically. Both. That's right. We should look at it as both. And, and the answer is yes. Both. And, and, and so how, you know, for example, Satan is described in this book, he is described as a great red dragon. That is a symbol. You know, it's the symbol of this cruel and fierce and powerful. Uh, that's a symbol. But it's not literal. We know that he's not a dragon that has a tail that reaches into the stars and sweep half the stars uh, out and, and wipes away a third of the stars. And when we find out what the symbol means, then we can interpret it literally. So when we, when we know what the symbol is, then we can interpret the scripture literally and believe that. And so that is how we approach this book. And so don't think, don't think that symbolism does away with the literal interpretation 
Um, because we know there is a literal devil, right? We know that. And so we find what the symbol stands for, and then we believe it. We find what the symbol... You know, it's just like I mentioned to you before. I mean, the scripture describes a woman, uh, a, hu- a woman who sits on the seven hills... And uh, who sits on seven hills? A woman is now. That's now. If that's literal, that's some woman. <laughs> I mean, if there's a girl that can sit on seven hills, whew, you know what I'm saying. But we know that's not what it means. We know that 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 it, that that it's it, it's a symbolism. But when you interpret the symbolism, there is a literal meaning to what is being said, and we'll look at that, and we'll know that. And so we must understand the symbolism in order to understand the book. But the symbolism does not discount the truth of the book. Listen to this. Let me, let me just give you something. This is something you can tweet, write down, whatever you want to do. The Bible interprets its own symbolism. You don't have to guess what the Bible means. about. We don't have to be afraid to interpret the Scripture. The thing is, we have to use the Scripture to interpret the Scripture. Where people get in trouble is, is they use other methods to interpret what the Scripture is teaching when we should use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Y'all with me? And so that's how we should interpret Scripture and look at Scripture tonight. But I want to show you, as we go through this message tonight, and and I know that I have to hurry tonight, so I'm going to try to be as fast as I can. Uh, We are thinking primarily about the symbolism of, of numbers in scripture. And so, uh, first of all, I want to show you something. I want to show you the scientific matter of numbers. I first want to show you the scientific matters of numbers. Numbers uh, are a matter of science. Numbers are a matter of science. Matter of fact, there is a mathematical arrangement in everything. And, And numbers are significant when it comes to science. Now listen to me. Remember, the God who wrote the Bible is also the God who wrote the book on nature. Y'all with me? In other words, people talk about the laws of nature. They're not the laws of nature. They're the laws of God that nature obeys. Does that make any sense to you? They are the laws of God that nature obeys. God is a God of order and God is a God of design. And God put science, put the science of the numbers in the universe. God is the one that put science together. God is the one that made the mathematical arrangement of science in the earth. God is the one that made all of the aspects of science. He put all the mathematical equations in there. God is the one that gave science its boundaries and gave the mathematical equations for science in their boundaries. In other words, uh, astronomy. The, they were able to tell what happened, what, is, what happened in the planets and the stars and in the celestial bodies. They're able to tell that. Why? How are they able to tell that? Because there's mathematical arrangements that are set in order and they're able to look at the stars and look at the planets and they can interpret the past history because they know that there's mathematical equations that God put there that are set. And so they're able to so they're able to foretell are able to see the future because they're able to look at science and be able to tell the future. It's like that with every aspect of human science. When we talk about the human anatomy, that God has put every aspect 
of the body. You know, we all have 46 chromosomes, right? Every mathematical equation that is in me is in you. Because God designed it. God made it. God put it in order. The numbers are, uh, of science have been put together by God. God had ordered chemistry. You know, a couple few weeks ago, I talked about the element of prayer. And I used the analogy that prayer is like a scientific element that, that if you remove that element, things could happen that alter the state of things. There are elements that are a part of the periodic table that if you remove them from the periodic table, you and I would cease to exist. But they all work together. God has given them all a design. And so there's, there's the same way in biology. There's a mathematical arrangement. and There's certain flowers that have a certain number of petals. When that flower blooms, no matter how many times it blooms, no matter how many uh, flowers come up, every one of them will have the same number of petals. Why? Because the same number of mathematical science has been put in each of them, and there is an order to uh, the universe. There's an order to the mathematical equations God has put in humanity and upon the earth, which we, which we see the scientific matter of numbers. Numbers are a matter of science. And we know that. But God is the one that gave them their boundaries. And so scripture doesn't, uh, 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 science doesn't prove scripture. Scripture proves science, right? And so Scripture tells us what science, the answer of science is. And so, and you'd be surprised how the Scripture is full of the symbolism and answers the science. I need to move on. Number two, I want us to see not only the scientific matter of numbers, but all and that numbers. Uh, uh, are a matter of science, but two, and this is interesting, is the symbolic meaning of numbers. In other words, you have to understand that to the Jew and to the writers of the Bible, numbers were more important, uh, uh, were more than scientific. They were, they were uh, numbers to them uh, were, were, had incredible meaning. They had symbol, uh, 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 great meaning to them. Matter of fact, John uses numbers somewhat different than we would today. But the symbolism of numbers is one of the great confirmations and affirmations of the inspiration of the Word of God. Because we find these throughout Scripture, and what we begin to see, we begin to learn that numbers play a huge part. What are the significant meaning of numbers? Why, why are they important? Those who wrote the Bible, when they would write the numbers and symbolisms that are in Scripture, they had huge meaning to the Jew. They had huge meaning to the writers of the Bible. The, the, the Paul and Peter, they, their numbers meant a significant thing to them. They lived in a culture that was surrounded and numbers had meaning. They had feasts. They had times to pray. They had significant things. There was such meaning behind them to a level where I don't know if we quite understand, but we have to understand that when we look through this book and we see the symbol of numbers, they're very powerful. And if we can understand and interpret them, we can understand what the mysteries of the kingdom of God is throughout the book of Revelation. Now hang with me. I am going somewhere. I don't not trying to bore you. I'm just trying to lay this foundation uh, uh, before us. And so numbers mean something. And so, uh, uh, 
you know, there are three kinds of people in the world, those who can count and those who can't. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> y'all finally got it. A couple of you. Explain it to them on the way home if you can get it. So, <laughs> let's look at the symbolism of numbers. I want to take you through some important numbers, uh, numbers that God, uh, that are important, that you will see uh, throughout Scripture that are very important. When you see these numbers, you will know what the interpretation of these numbers mean. First of all, let's look at the number one. The number one is interesting. This is a number for unity, and it is the number for the nature of God. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Right? One Lord. Zechariah 14, 9. The Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be... Uh, 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 be one Lord over all, and his name is one. In other words, uh, uh, it's, it, it, it means uh, one, and, and Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 6 tells us this, that there's one God and Father of us all, who is above all, through all, and in all. In other words, he is, there is one God, and his name is Jehovah, and we must understand that when we see the number one, it is a number that is in reference to God, and it's a number that is in reference to unity. So whenever you see that number, then there's the number two. The number two is a number, two is the number of witness. John 18, 17, Jesus said this. Jesus said, it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. In other words, it is the number of witness. It is the number that brings witness. The Old Testament taught that there could not be accusations brought against an accuser unless there were two witnesses, unless there were two who confirmed. Number two is the number of witness. Matter of fact, we have two testaments in the Bible that bear witness to Jesus Christ, right? We have the old and we have the new. We have the two testaments. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What's the significance of that? The second person in the Trinity is the witness. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, look what it says. And from Jesus Christ, the what? The faithful witness. He is the faithful witness, the faithful and true witness. There were two angels at the tomb when Jesus arose as a witness to his resurrection. There were two angels that were there at the ascension of Jesus as a witness to his ascension. Later in Revelation, we find two witnesses during the tribulation. And it says in Revelation chapter 11 verse 3 that the two witnesses were given power to prophesy and they would prophesy for 1260 days, the scripture says. And so the number two is a number that represents, it represents uh, a witness. It represents witness. It represents uh, when Jesus sent them out to share the gospel, how did he send them? Two by two. He sent them two by two as a witness. So one means unity. It means it's a number of God. It means uh, one God, one true God, one. Two means a witness. And the number three means uh, the number three is the symbolism. Three is the divine number. Three speaks of God, but this, this time in, uh, in, in the Trinity or in triune. Our God is three in one. Revelation 1, 8. Look what it says. And I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come. 
You see that? Three, Matthew 28, 19. He says, though go therefore and make disciples, and when you make disciples, you baptize them. How? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? The simplest compound fig, fig, uh, figure is an equally sided triangle. In other words, um, it, it, is, it, is, it is a picture of triune. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, uh, Paul says, pray, uh, we pray to God to sanctify you wholly. How, how are you sanctified wholly? Body, soul, spirit. And sanctify you wholly that you would be preserved blameless when? Until the day of the coming of Christ. So three is the number. It, it, is, it is the number. It's the divine number. It's the number of the, of, of the Trinity. It's the, it's the number of, of, it is a divine number. Everything God made in the world reflects his triune nature. For instance, uh, uh, matter, time, space, and matter. There's, there's the past, present, and future. That's time. There's space, height, weight, and depth, or width and depth. Matter is triune. It's, it's energy, motion, and phenomenon. That's matter. And so three carries the number of divine. It's a divine number. It is a, the number of the, of the trinity. It's the, it's the number of, of, it's a divine number. And so we go to number four. The number four is the number, uh, four is, the num- is an earth number. It's a number for the earth. It deals with creation. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 12. We will set up a banner for the nations, assembled out and cast of Israel, and gather together and the, 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 those that were dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The four corners of the earth refer refer to the four points of the compass, north, south, east, and west. Ezekiel 7.2 talks again about the four corners of the land, of the earth. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 1. Let me read that to you. The Revelation scriptures I want to read to you because I, I, want, I want you to see. Revelation chapter 7 verse 1. And these things I saw, four angels standing where? At the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. And so they have, they, they have been only, uh, in the course of history, there have only been four world empires in all of history. There are four seasons in a year. Matter of fact, God will take the numbers in Scripture and he'll either divide them and multiply them. When they're divided or multiply, you begin to see that, they, uh, uh, that there's even greater significance to them. For instance, the number four, when it's multiplied by 10, equals 40. It still deals with the earth, right? 40 days uh, in the Bible is the number of testing. When you read through Scripture, 40 days is the number of testing. How do you know that? Well, we know that, that Noah's time, uh, it rained 40 days and 40 nights, Right? Moses was on Mount Sinai for how long? 40 days and 40 nights. Jonah preached uh, that in 40 days and 40 nights, Nineveh would be destroyed. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness how long? 40 days and 40 nights. Four is the earth number because the earth is the place where we have our testing and our trials. It's the earth number. Whenever you see the number four, it's in reference to the earth. It's in reference to creation. 
It's the number earth because the earth is where we have our testing. It's where we go through trial. It's where we fight our battles. It's on earth where the testing of our faith is. It's here on the earth that the testing of our faith is. And so we have the number four. The number five is an interesting symbol because the number five and ten are the same. They're basically the same. Five and ten are the same. Five and ten are basically the same. They speak of fullness and completion. And when you look at five and ten, we have, we have five fingers on each hand, right? But when you bring them together, they're complete. They're full. We have five toes on one side and five toes on this side. Together they make our feet. There's a completion there. We have five senses. God gave us ten commandments. Is that not right? He gave us five commandments that dealt with how we, uh, how we uh, approach God and five commandments and how we approach man. But when we, but when we live them out, we live them fully. When we live them fully, we live full in God, right? When we obey the Ten Commandments, um, this is the whole duty of us all. Five is the number of grace, fully completed. How many are thankful that grace has been completed? There's nothing that Jesus needs to do. There's no other measure of grace we need. The blood of Jesus has done it all for us. Is that not right? Revelation 13.1, John sees a vision, and he sees seven heads and ten horns. And the horns represent the emblems of power, but the ten represents the Antichrist coming into full power. In other words, he has ten horns. Horns represent authority, and the ten represents the fullness of that power. And then it says, it goes on, it said, on the ten horns were ten crowns, which means that there, on his head was the name of a blasphemy, the scripture says. So when the Antichrist comes on the scene and you see that number 10, he has been given the fullness of power on the earth. And so he's come to his fullness. He's come to his full meaning. Five also, uh, we, we also see that there were 10 plagues that God used to judge Egypt. Uh, Revelation chapter 2 verse 10 talks about tribulation, a tribulation of 10 days that the churches will be under revelation, under the fullness or complete tribulation. It doesn't mean that the churches are in 10 days of tribulation and it ends. The 10 represents the fullness of the uh, uh, tribulation persecution. And so those who are, are uh, throughout the persecution, uh, that, that, that there's a fullness in that persecution. And so the number three is, is, is uh, or I'm sorry, the number five describes the church will be persecuted fully. Not a literal 10 days, but speaking of the full completion of the tribulation. In other words, it's interesting, God explains the symbols himself. So, and then there's this, the, the symbolism of the number six. Six is the number of man. Revelation 13, 18. And it says, count the number, actually let's look there, Revelation 13 and verse 18, 13, 18, says this, it says, here is wisdom, let him who has, who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, right, it is the number of man, his number is 666, the number of man. See, God interprets his own Scripture. God interprets his own scripture. So what is the number six? It is the number of man. It is the number of man. Man was created what? On the sixth day. He was created on the sixth day. 
the beast, uh, the Bible says, the Antichrist, when he comes, that he is the man, 666, which represents the fullness of man. It actually represents the beast whose man pretends to be God. Because the Bible says that what does he do? He goes into the temple and he sets himself up as God. Does that make sense? He's a man pretending to be God. We have fallen short, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We are man, but we need the perfected Christ, the seventh man, Christ to be whole and to be full. And so it's, it, the Antichrist represents the pretending to be God. Man is no seven, he is six. And so he was created on the sixth day. And that number is the number of short because the number seven means perfection, completed, perfection. And so man is six, he's fallen short of seven. The symbolism of number seven, this is the key number in the book of Revelation. It is the perfect number. Seven is the perfect number, the number of perfection. Isn't it interesting, when God divides three, which is the divine number, and four, which is the earth number, it is earth crowned with heaven. So three represents a divine number. Four represents the earth. Four plus three equals seven, which means heaven crowning earth. Means it's perfected. When heaven comes to earth, earth becomes perfected. When, when, when we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, when heaven visits earth, whatever heaven visit, it protects that aspect of the earth. So the divine protects the natural. And so the, uh, the earth is crowned with heaven. This is God working out his perfection on the earth. God is working out his perfection. God has written the number seven through everything. There are seven days in a week. There are seven notes in a musical scale. How many times did Joshua walk around the wall? Seven times in Joshua 6. There, uh, they, they, there are uh, seven parables of the kingdom that are mentioned in Revelation or in Matthew chapter 13. There are also multiples of seven, just as we have seen, multiples of four and five. Jesus sent out 70, seven times 10, to preach the perfect gospel. There are 70 weeks in the book of Daniel that speak of God dealing, uh, uh, God dealing with all of time. It's 70 weeks, those represent actually 70 years. And these weeks are years, they're not weeks or days. The human span, God tells us in Psalms 90 in verse 10 that God has given us three score and 10 years. In other words, 70 years is a perfection of life or the completion of life that God has given us. Seven divided in half equals three and a half. And this speaks of danger, division, and foreboding. In other words, when seven is divided, when violence is done to seven, then perfection has been divided. And so you, meet, you see many times in Scripture where seven has been divided, and what has happened is things that have happened in three and a half years are a picture of danger, are a picture of... Of, of, of things that are, when Elijah prophesied, he shut up the heavens for how long? Three and a half years. The Antichrist will make a covenant with Israel for seven years and then break the covenant after how long? Three and a half years. 
Seven is divided. Violence is done to seven. When that which is perfect has been violenced or done, cut in half, there's destruction. There's, there's all kinds of chaos. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, speaks of the pompous words against the Most High, talking about the Antichrist. Shall persecute the saints uh, and tend to change the times and the laws. And then the saints shall be given into his hands for a time and times and a half a time, which means three and a half years. Revelation 13, 5, uh, it, uh, it says this. Let me read that to you. Revelation 13, 5. Are y'all hanging with me? Just, just hang with me. And it says, and he was given a mouth to speak great things and blasphemy, and he was given authority to continue. How long? 42 months. This talks about the Antichrist. He will rule for 42 months. How long is 42 months? Three and a half years. Seven divided. Seven divided. And there, there'll be violence. There'll be turmoil. There'll be chaos on the earth. Seven is divided. The perfect number is divided. And so it is interesting that the number seven, um, matter of fact, the number seven uh, talks about um, uh, when we look at the seven lampstands that were mentioned in our scripture. The seven lampstands are what the scripture calls menorahs. And so the, they, they have us, if you've ever seen a menorah, a menorah is a huge candle, uh, uh, Jewish candle. Uh, uh, abra or whatever you want to call it and it has a centerpiece you can see it has a centerpiece and then it has three lights on each side that burn they all burn together the centerpiece represents God represents God at the center and the three on each side is six represents man but when one God and man comes together they become what they become the light of the world and so the candle abra is a picture of the light of Christ. It's a picture of God and his church together lighting the world. And when there's oil in the lamp, the Holy Spirit provides the oil, which provides the light, which provides the light to the world. And so we cannot be, we have to be, if we're going to be a church, we have to be a church that is the, uh, that Christ is at the center and that, and that we shine the light of Jesus, but yet we also have oil that's able to burn the light in our lives. That is why we know that in the parable of the ten virgins, they were all given what? They were all given lamps. And they weren't able to enter in. Why? Because their lamps didn't have oil. And they were virgins. And I'm going to teach you that I believe that I believe the rapture of the church it is not for everybody. There are those who are walking around that are part of the church, and, and we know they're virgins, right? They're undefiled, but they don't have a light. And I believe the rapture is for those who have a light. The rapture is for those who have oil, those who, why, how do you know this? Because the Bible said five of the virgins went in and the door was shut. And in those three parables, God uses three parables to talk about the rapture of the church. I'm telling you, not everybody's going in the rapture. Not everybody you think is going. I believe the rapture has been set aside for the overcomer. Because you, when you read of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, it says, 
uh, he, there is a promise for every one of those churches to those people, and it says, to he that overcomes, there is an eternal promise. So what's it saying to the seven churches that represent the seven church ages? It's saying this, that those that are in the body of Christ, whose lights shine, who are overcomers, when the blessed hope comes, when the rapture of the church comes, those that are ready will go. The question is, do you have oil in your lamp? Is your light burning tonight? Do you have oil? Do you, are you ready? Are you part of God's plan? Or do you know Jesus? Are you a light to the world? Just a side note. And so there's the number, uh, there's the number seven. I'm almost done, y'all. I'm getting there. I'm almost finished. Then there's the number eight. The number eight represents new beginnings. It represents new birth. The eighth day is the first day of the week. In Scripture, a child was what? He was circumcised on the eighth day. Colossians 2.11 talks about the circumcision of the heart. When a believer comes to Christ, there is the circumcision of the heart. This was a symbol of the new birth that we have in Jesus Christ. On the eighth day, people were saved out of the ark, the Scripture tells us. And 1 Peter chapter 20, or 1 Peter 3, 20, tells us that eight were saved. They're on the eighth day, they, eight people were saved out of the ark. When the leper was clean, cleansed of leprosy, he received a fresh start. He was pronounced clean on the eighth day. Jesus was in the tomb for three days, but he arose on the eighth day, the Lord's day. This is the reason why we worship on Sunday which is not the first day, but the eighth day. And so John 20, 26 said, On the eighth day, Jesus stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto you. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 5. Uh, and I, I want to show you something here. Um, uh, I told you, I told today I put on Facebook, I said I was gonna, I'm going to close with this. I want to show you uh, a revelation in the Word that you probably have never seen before about Jesus. And this is, uh, you've probably never heard it said, uh, seen before, uh, but I, I want you to see something. Um, show you that eight is the number of new beginning. When you see the number eight and the symbolism of eight, it's always a sign of a new beginning and fresh start. I want you to see something. In the Greek language, not only does the Greek letters have significance, but they also have a, 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 uh, uh, a numeral significance. We know that their language, like uh, uh, Roman numerals, right? They're letters, and they have a number significance. Well, the Greek language also has a number significance that certain letters in the Greek represent certain numbers. In other words, they, they're, they're, they're numerical. They, they represent certain uh, numbers together. Uh, the number uh, eight is interesting because I often thought, what would, be, what would be the numeral number of Jesus' name in Greek? You ever thought about that? Do you know what that is, Dr. Sean? Do you know what the numerical number? Uh, I bet he does know it. Uh, the numerical number of Jesus' name in Greek. Well, let me give it to you. 
Let me show you. Uh, it's broke up with five Greek words, or six Greek words, or letters. Oda, which means 10. Eta, 8. Sigma is 200. Omicron is 70. Uh, epsilon is 400. And Sigma is 200. The numerical value of Jesus' name that comes out is 888. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Isn't that good? How many know Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega? That Jesus, listen, I mean, I got to think about it. I got happy. Why? Because Jesus says he's the one that what? He makes all things new. Right? Is he the one that makes all things new? Is Jesus not the one that brings a new beginning? Is Jesus not the one that gives us fresh start? Is he not the one that makes change in our life? Is he not the one that brings great a change into our lives? Pastor Adam, if you'll come tonight. And so I want you to remember, I, 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 I've thought about that before, but I never really put it together. But I thought, isn't it interesting? Man has a number. And I didn't get to finish everything tonight, but here's, here's the thing. Numbers have a significance. Numbers matter scientifically. There's a symbolic meaning of numbers in Scripture. And there were a couple I didn't get to. The number, the number 12, which is interesting, represent uh, government. It's a number of government, God ruling and reigning. There were 12 apostles, 12 patriarchs, 12 thrones in glory. Matthew 19, 28 talks about the 12 thrones. Um, Revelation 4.4 talks about the uh, 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament, the 12 apostles of the New Testament. This represents the redeeming of all age sitting around the throne. Revelation 4.4 says there will be those, uh, there will be the 12 uh, uh, elders, and 4 and 12 elders, and then there will be the apostles that are there. You and I will be there as we sit around the throne. It means the ruling and reigning of God. Twelve means the ruling and reigning of God. The spiritual message of numbers is this tonight. As you think about it, stand with me tonight as we close in prayer. When we look through the scripture, there are men. I went through this really fast tonight. And I hope that you know you were it brought understanding to you. But we understand that there, numbers have significance in scripture. Matter of fact, I want you to know spiritual, the spiritual message of numbers tonight is this. God's got your number. Did you know that? You know God's got your number. You ever heard that phrase? He's got your number. God's got your number. You know how he's got your number? Because one means there's only one God. Two means that God speaks to us through his faithful and true witness, who is Jesus Christ. He's speaking to us today. How's he speaking to us? By the witness of the Old and New Testament. Three tells us that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Tells us that God loves us. He sent his Son to suffer and die and bleed on the cross for each of us. He gave us his Holy Spirit to bear witness to that. The Holy Spirit that lives in you bears witness to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Four tells us that this is, this is our Father's world. That God wants peace on earth. The number four means the earth, but God wants peace on earth. You know the Bible tells us this, 
that there's one day that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ. Matthew 6 tells us, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's the God that shows up in the middle of your testing. While we're on earth, we're tried and tested, but He's the God that shows up in the middle of it. His will comes in the midst of it. Five tells us that He's full of grace and complete, that He will complete the work that He started in you. How many are thankful God's going to finish what He starts in you? By His grace, fullness, complete. Did you ever notice that nothing ever panics in heaven? <laughs> I'm telling you, I've seen a few people panic in here the last couple days. But how many know heaven doesn't panic? How many know God is in control? Six tells us that man is short, but because we're short and fall short of the glory of God, he's provided the perfect man in Christ and the seventh man that we can be redeemed through. And the good news is, eight tells us that we can have a brand new start. We can be born again. God is the God of new beginnings. He makes all things new. And 12 tells us that one day we will be with him. 12 tells us that one day we will rule and reign with Christ. Y'all hear what I'm saying? God's got your number. God's got our back. And so when you see the symbolism of Scripture, and you see the numbers throughout Scripture, they have meaning. They're not just numbers. They have significance to us. There's divine significance to us. And so as we close in prayer tonight, I want us to understand that we should be calling a world to Jesus to repent and to turn from their sins and turn to Christ. To ask for forgiveness. That they would acknowledge that He is Lord. There's no better, greater time now than to share Jesus with men and women. You can start by saying, hey, did you know God's got your number? And you could just go through and tell them there's a one true God. Christ is the true, faithful witness. Three is the number of divine order. Four is the number of the earth. Let's pray tonight. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God. We thank you that Jesus is 888. We thank you that he's the God of new beginning. We thank you that he is the one true God. We thank you that he is in the midst of every number. He's in the divine number of three. He's in the witness of two. He's in the one true God. He's a new beginning. He's in the, the 12, the authority of man and God. And we thank you tonight, God, that you, through your word, shows us your symbolism. That God, that, that just like the menorah shines, we pray that we are Christians that shine like the menorah. Those six lampstands, those six candles represent man and God in the center. As we burn together through the oil of the Holy Spirit, we become the light of the world. And we thank you that you've set us ablaze and set us on fire tonight. We pray that you will open our understanding and know that in this time we live in, this is a time the church needs to be calling men to Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the challenge to live at a greater level because we know tonight that God has our number. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in our hearts. And we pray that you'll fulfill everything 
that you started to do in man. Now, if you're here tonight and you need a new beginning, you'd say, Pastor, I need a new beginning. I need a new, fresh touch from God. I'm not going to call you down, but I want you to raise your hand right where you are. Lift it up high. Say, I want to know the Christ of the new beginning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put them down. I want you all, let's pray for these. Y'all lift your hands toward heaven. Father, those that have lifted their hands tonight, they have said they want to know the Christ and they want a new start, a fresh beginning. They want a fresh season of their life. And I just pray that this will be a new, fresh beginning, a fresh touch for them. For you're the God that makes all things new in our life. And it's on the eighth day that you showed up in the midst of those disciples and brought peace into that room. So shall you today bring peace into the hearts of these that raise their hands. Your word says that when we come to you, old things have passed away and all things have become new. And so we trust tonight that all things would be made new. All things would be made new. All things be made new in our nation, in our country, in our region, in our churches. Let all things be made new through him who is the Christ. And we pray this tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.